Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and it's uh, my pleasure to be speaking to you this morning. I've been the pastor here for nine years or so, and I speak on most Sunday mornings. A couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe, Greg McAfee sent me an email and telling me that he appreciated the sermon series that we're in on identity, and he sent me a long email that was kind of a little bit of his struggles with identity. Part of his testimony was in that. And I shot him an email back real quick after I read it and said, um, hey, can we video that and show it in the service? So I hooked up one of our videographers, Sam Clark, with him, and uh, they were able to record that. And I want you to uh, listen to about four minutes of Greg McAfee kind of talking through a little bit of his journey with identity. Who am I? Well, I'm Greg McAfee. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. I'm a Marine. I'm a son. And I'm a business owner. And oh yeah, I'm a Christian, which should have came first. My mom was 17 and my dad was 19 when they got married. And 10 months later, I came into the world. I had two brothers who were born a few years later. When my mom would get upset, she would say things like, I wish you were never born. I wish I never had kids, and when you kids are grown up, we're getting a divorce. So what do you do with that as a child? Well, you just kind of deal with it, and you think maybe everyone has that in their home, or maybe every mom says that, but that wasn't the case. Years later, we found out my mom had a severe personality disorder, and we just dealt with it, and unfortunately, my dad didn't stick up for us much because he knew that would cause a fight. Somewhere around the age of 12 or 13, my mom started having an affair. And as the oldest child, I picked up on something was going on. That affair lasted until they got a divorce when I was 17 years old. So it couldn't have been a coincidence that I smoked my first cigarette somewhere between 12 and 13. And I drank my first beer somewhere between 12 and 13. And started hanging around the wrong people at that age as well. So at the age of 17, I graduated high school, just barely, and I moved out. And at the age of 19, I moved from Mansfield, Ohio to Dayton, Ohio for a job. And at the age of 22, I joined the Marine Corps. Again, I was still looking for who am I? So I served in the Marine Corps and I came back to Firestone. They held my job. A truck driver that I worked with kept asking me to go to church. And I finally said something like, if you could find me a church with a singles group, I'd probably go. And wouldn't you know it, his son belonged to Wrightview Nazarene and they had a singles group. And uh, that weekend they were playing a volleyball tournament and they said I could join in. So uh, I attended the volleyball tournament. It was there that I met my future wife, Naomi, and we dated for a few years. At the age of 25, um, I accepted Jesus in my life. Now that doesn't mean that I found myself. I, I definitely quit drinking, quit smoking. I definitely quit a lot of things, but the thorn in the flesh was still there. So we got married that year, bought a house, and the same year we started McAfee Heating and Air. I recall a couple years into our marriage, we attended a seminar, and 
A fellow by the name of Ron Rand put it on. Ron was teaching a men's group, and he came running in with a Superman suit on, uh, teaching men different things about life. And of course, on his chest, he had a big S, but he emphasized that S did not stand for super. It stood for struggler. And I've related to that ever since that seminar, that we all have struggles. I have my own struggles, and I've had to deal with things that were said to me as a young child. But with Christ in my life, I'm working through these things, and that's the good news. Uh, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been said to you in your life, with Christ, you can work through these things. Because in Ephesians, it says, I was chosen by him. And in Romans, it says, I'm free of all condemnation. And in Colossians, it says, I'm complete in Christ. And his name is above all the issues I have in my life. Because he's my savior, he's my God, and he helps me through each and every day. And I'm glad I have him. We all have our struggles with identity. It's a huge, huge issue in the Christian life. Um, we spent four weeks on it in January, and that was really going to be it, but then kind of decided to go through February as well because uh, not only of your reaction, your positive reaction to the teaching, but also just how important that we feel that it is. And um, we've defined identity as your sense of worth, your sense of uh, how you get validation uh, in life. We define your identity about what is core about you all through the different hats that you wear. Uh, you wear a lot of different hats and that's fine, everybody does, but there has to be something the same about you no matter what hat you have on. Something identical about you in all of those hats that you have on, that identity, something that's identical uh, about you. And we've said whatever that is, that is your identity. That's how you receive validation in life. And I think almost each sermon I brought out a, this deck of cards and says, even though we, we, we have lots of roles that we play, uh, I'm a husband and I'm a father and, and I'm, a, I'm a pastor and I'm this and I'm that and I, I'm, a, I'm a former basketball coach. I still coach basketball in the summertime and I'm teaching class on Tuesday night and so forth and so on. There's a lot of hats that I wear. What is at the top of the deck? There's a lot of cards that represent different roles that I play, but what is at the top of the deck? And all of those can be really good and nothing bad about any of those unless something else gets to the top of the deck. And something else, even as good and godly as a husband or a father, if it can get to the top of the deck, causes problems in your life. Because the big deal about this, friends, is identity determines behavior. Let me show you an example of that. I saw it last Sunday morning at Kinsey. I preached last week at Kinsey, and here's what I noticed. We had a family of four that comes every Sunday morning for breakfast, but they don't stay for the service. And that's fine. Same thing happens sometimes at Riverside over there. And, you know, we don't do anything about it. It is what it is. We thank them for coming and hope they'll stay one day. And I think today is the first day they're probably going to stay. But that, that, um, that family uh, that came was sitting there, and another person, a single guy, uh, was sitting with them. Now, he comes most Sunday mornings, and he stays for the service. So you have this family of four. They all live in the same apartment complex. There is family of four, and then you have this one single guy right here. Well, the family of four did what they normally do after they finish eating. They get up and walk out, and the guy that always eats and stays for the service 
got up and walked out with him. Now, I talked to him about that this week. And we talked back and forth. And you know the reason that he walked out? It's because at that moment, he wanted to be part of the group. His identity was in what his friends thought of him. He didn't have enough backbone or didn't have enough self-esteem or I don't know what it is to be able to say, no, y'all go ahead, I'm going to stay for the service. See, that was an identity issue for that guy. And at that moment, found his identity in that family. A little background on that guy, he's very needy as far as socially and really clings to people. So it's easy to see how he does that. It was an identity issue. That's all that was. Identity determines behavior. And since the Bible talks so much about behavior, it's important that we hit the identity issue. It, you know, people a lot of times get it back and backwards in the Christian life. Well, when I, when I stop doing this and stop doing this, and then I'll, be, I'll become a Christian then. Or when I get my life in order, then I'll become a Christian. That's totally backwards. You accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of his life. You become a child of God. You become forgiven, and then you live out of that identity. That is the biblical understanding of identity, that you are this, so be that way. There's, there's, um, uh, there's many times that I've talked to people in the counseling office, and I'll say things like, um, I'll talk about behavior in their life, and I'll say to them, you forgot who you were. You forgot you were a Christian. There's times your dad may have done it, and he, and he, and he, he said, that's not who we are. Mark, why did you behave that way? That's not who we are. So what he was saying, this is who we are, now behave that way. You're an Atherton, and that means something. You always will be an Atherton. There's nothing anybody can take that away from you. That's something you've received, not achieved. You're an Atherton, now behave like it. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. You have been forgiven. There is no condemnation. You are complete in Christ. Now live that out. That's the biblical understanding of the whole Christian life. But so many people, and whether they hear it wrong or it's preached wrong or it's just they don't understand grace, see, it's always grace before works. It's always what God does first. And then we live that out in our lives. The passage this morning I want to preach is found in Luke chapter three. If you have your Bible or you have it on the phone, turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. If you don't have a Bible or know of someone that doesn't have a Bible, there's Bibles at most of our entrances. Grab those, take them with you. That's what they're for, okay? Luke chapter three. This is the baptism of Jesus. This is an important passage of scripture simply because it shows up in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Anything that Holy Spirit uh, inspired the writers to remember in all four Gospels must be have some significance to God's Holy Spirit who inspired his words. And in Luke chapter 3, it's recorded this way. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. As he was praying, heaven was opened. Now, have any idea what that means? Your guess is as good as mine on that, okay? Uh, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Uh, people say, well, you know, what's 
But there's, there's, no place, there's no place the word Trinity is in the Bible. Of course, that is absolutely true. But here's one place that the Trinity is illustrated. You have Jesus being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit say, says plain as anything, came and lighted on Jesus in the form of a dove. And then the Father speaks and says, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity there. And a wonderful example of the Father telling the Son who he is. The Son, Jesus, had, was raised in Joseph and Mary's family. We'd, we know just tiny, tiny bits of Jesus' childhood. Almost nothing from 12 to 30. This is the age of 30 right here. Almost nothing we know. Probably can easily assume that if Joseph was a carpenter, which the Bible says he was, that Jesus was probably a carpenter as well. That's why you hear Jesus sometimes called the carpenter, okay? But here at age of 30, before he'd started any ministry, before he had healed anyone, before he had healed any blind eyes, did any preaching, did any teaching, before he fed the multitudes, before he turned water into wine, we hear the Father saying, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> This has got to be really important because this is in all four Gospels. Very few things are repeated in all four Gospels. And I think Jesus here was re receiving these words from the Father. And before he did, did, went and did any works of the ministry, the Father says, you are my son. You see, identities are received. They're not achieved. Good identities. Oh, I could, I, could, I, could, I could be a football player and have a certain amount of identity because I gained 1,000 yards rushing, and I achieved that, and I guess that. But the best identities are not ones that are achieved because whatever you achieve, you can lose. If Greg's uh, identity comes from McAfee heating and air, then there's one day that there's, he's not going to own McAfee heating and air. He's going to sell it, turn, turn it over to his kids or whatever, and he's going he's to go to Fort Myers and be retired the rest of his life. Who is he? after he's no longer a furnace guy. And the same thing goes for all of us. Who? Who are we? And the best identities are received, not achieved. Because if they're achieved, I probably will lose it one day. A police officer that's no longer a a uh, policeman, he retires after 20, 25 years, and he no longer has the badge on. And, and if that was his identity, then he's got a problem. Because he's no longer sergeant so-and-so or captain so-and-so. Who is he? Things that are achieved can be lost. Identities that are received. You are my son. You are my son. So the question this morning is, who names you? Who names you? Who do you give the influence in your life to name you? Who will you give the power in your life to name you in some way? Mom and dad named me. They didn't name me Mark, or they, of course, did, but that's not the important name. Mark could have called me anything. Mark's not important. Son is important. They named me Son. They named me Son. You know, a few weeks ago, I had my Facebook page up there, and I showed you 
my identity and I said, I said, I'm a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a uh, father, and I'm a pastor, but I have a whole lot of trouble keeping them in that order. Now, as I got thinking about that, I said, Mark, you numbskull, you left two really important things out that are way more important than pastor. I'm a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a brother, and then I'm a pastor. But I still struggle in keeping them all straight. The best identities are identities that are received, and mom and dad name me son. And I'll always be their son, even though dad has died, and mom's living the last few years of her life, I'm sure. And even though when both of them are gone, I'm still a son, because what they taught me will still ring in my ears. I'll always be a son of Clarence and Ann Atherton. And that, that, that is a, that's, a, that's a good identity, if it's kept in the right place. Um, I don't know about some of you dads out there, but I got nicknames for my boys, and it's not any special nickname. It's just what I call them. I don't, I don't know why I do this. Dad never did it to me. I don't know why, but I call them Bubba. I call them Hot Dog. If I had a whole bunch of kids, if I had a whole bunch of kids, you know, I'd forget their names, but I only got two, and at 61, I'm forgetting their names every now and then. So I call them Hot Dog or Bubba or Ding Dong or something like that, okay? And one day, five or six years ago, maybe not that long, maybe four years ago, Christopher said, Dad, don't call me whatever I called him, hot dog or Bubba or something. I said, I said well, and I was joking. I said, well, what do you want me to call him? He says, call me son. Call me son. Love you, son. See you later, son. Night, son. It's a really good identity because it's received it's not achieved sue named me on november the 18th 1995 she named me husband it's a good identity it's a really good identity it was something i received I, Maybe in some way I achieved it. I guess I had to treat her a certain way or something. But it's, it's something she just gave me of her own free will. No one coerced her. I didn't have to climb a ladder. I didn't have to jump through all these hoops. I didn't have to. She just, by the power of her own will, freedom of her own will, she named me. And she named me husband. I received that. I didn't earn that. There was a judge one day. Uh, in Henry County, Georgia that brought his gavel down when we adopted Christopher and that judge named me a father. And I remember him holding that gavel and he looked at us and said, now when I bring this gavel down, Christopher will be an heir to every single penny you have. And that judge, that judge named me father. And that's a really, really good identity to have. It was received. It was received, not achieved. Nine years ago, whenever it was, you all named me pastor. My, I guess my analogy breaks down a little bit because I guess there is something I could do to lose that. I could go all haywire and do, start doing stupid stuff and get fired. I, my analogy kind of breaks down then. But you named me. I received that from you. 
by, by, by your own decision. You just named me pastor, and that's a good identity. And all those are really, really good identities if we keep them under the top identity, which means I'm a born-again child of God. I've been saved. I'm a Christian. And all these other identities really fall in place. You know this second card, which is husband? Do you know the worst thing I could do in my role as a husband is to put it on top? That's the worst thing I could do, and Sue would just smack me to death if I did that. She doesn't want to be number one in my life because she knows that we'll be fine if Christ is number one in my life. When Christ stops being number one in my life, Sue and I are open to difficulties. doesn't automatically mean because you can have a good marriage and still be an atheist, I guess, and do, do the right things. But we have chance of more difficulties when I take Christ off of that top deck. And the same thing goes to every other role because the Christian has to be identical through the husband, through the father, through the son, through the brother, through the pastor, through all of those roles. The father looks down at the son and says, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Lots of people have named you right? And some of them weren't, weren't really good names. Coaches named you. Teachers named you. And some of you can remember some of the names that weren't so good. You know, I, I, I've told, I maybe I've told you this before, but you know that I wasn't a Christian until I was 34 and lived a honorary, just a horrible life. And, and I can remember being a young basketball coach, 25, 26, and I was working basketball camp at the University of Kentucky, and we had 12 guys assigned to me and at the end we were supposed to give them a little little card that listed their the good things they did that, that week and some things for them to go home uh, to go home and improve, and work on and improve on and so uh there's this one kid that just bugged me all week long and just a pain to me all week long not, not only could he not uh could he not dribble and chew gum at the same time he just he would just bug me he just bugged me all week long he was just a pain to me and so this unsaved, honorary, 25-year-old coach wrote on his card, take three weeks off and take up tennis. Now, I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you. I don't know if that kid, that bothered that kid. I'm not saying that kids had to go to the mental institution because of that or anything like that. But there's a lot of coaches and lots of teachers said honorary things to us. And it's easy for some of them to be in the deck and maybe even come to the top of the deck. Moms and dads, Greg, Greg testified that moms and dads have not always think, said good things to us, even bad things to us. Some mom and dads have done bad things to us. And because of the bad things they've done to us, they've named us. Some of you under the sound of my voice and people listening on the internet are, your name is sexually abused. And it has a really hard time getting off the top of your deck, doesn't it? Some of you ladies were raped and taken advantage of and that was a naming incident for you. It was a naming incident for you. 
Some of you have failed. You may have failed in business. You may have failed in sports. You may have failed in marriage. Those were naming incidents for you. Some of you moms have difficulties and you allow your children to name you. It's really good to be named mom by your children, but their successes or lack of it should not name you. And what college they get in should not name you. And where they score 20 points or 2 points should not name you. And if they do, your children's achievements name you. Then when your children go off to college and get out of the home, moms and sometimes dads, what, who are you? How many divorces happen? I could tell you about a divorce that's close to me that happened after the kids left home. Who were they then? Who were they? Identities that are achieved can be lost many times. Best identities are to be received. Who names you? Who do you give the power in your life to name you? People that do that, they have great influence over you, right? The people that have power to name you, you have to admit they have influence in your life. And the greater the influence they have, the, many times the more you wait you give the name that they give you. Let, let's, let's put me back in my school teaching days and let's say I'm, I'm teaching a math class and a, a teacher walks by on his or her planning period and, and listens into my class for a few minutes and sees me at lunch and said, hey Mark, I really appreciate how you were teaching that, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You did a good job with that. But if the school superintendent would come in, sit in the back of my class and then after that class, come up to me and says, Mark, that was an excellent lesson. See, the more prestige that people have, the more you think about or more weight that you give to the name or the compliment they give you. In the book, Lord of the Rings, there is a popular saying that's carried through a lot of culture. It says, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. How do you get the Christian card to be the most praiseworthy card in your deck? The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. Who is the most praiseworthy person in your life? The Kinsey example I gave it to you last week, for that gentleman, it was that family. At that moment, anyway. At that moment. And that determined his behavior. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. God names you if you have repented of your sins and accepting Christ and Christ alone leaning on him for your salvation, he calls you a son or calls you a daughter. He names you that just the way he named his own son. Gives you another name. He says you're forgiven. Wow. What I got to do to get that at the top of the deck? I'm forgiven. He says... 
that no matter what I've done in the past, old things have passed away and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. That no matter what has happened in the past, He names me a new creation. He calls me, in 1 John, He calls me His beloved. Crowder sings a song about His beloved, that we are His beloved. I'm His beloved. If you're a Christian today, you've been born again, you've been saved, you repented. If you've done that, capital I, capital F, bold print, underline, italics, if you've done that, he calls you beloved. Well, but, you know, but, you know, but my business failed. You're beloved. But, but I was pretty sharp with my wife last night. You're beloved. But I shouldn't have talked to Levi that way. You're beloved. But I did a lousy job on my sermon. I didn't work hard on it this week. I'm still beloved. God names you. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. I find it fascinating what comes immediately after the baptism narrative there. Immediately after the baptism scene. Luke chapter 3. The Bible says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old, and when he began his ministry, he was the son, so it was thought of. Okay, you get what he's saying there. He really wasn't the son of Joseph, but everybody thought he was, so we'll just go with it. He was the son of Joseph, then the son of Heli, or however you pronounce that. Then scroll through all these names. This is the most boring passage in all the past. These are the begats, if, you, if you're a King James person, okay? You don't, you don't read these for your devotions very often, do you? you it's just given Jesus' lineage, and it just keeps on going. All these names I can't pronounce here. All these names just keeps on going. Look at him. And it's telling, that it's given Jesus' lineage, and we keep on going, and I'm bored to death. Are you still with me? You're snoring out there yet? And finally, we get to the end. And it says, Son of God. He gives, in his humanity, he was the son of Joseph, and the son of, and the son of, and the son of, and the son of, but who is he? He's a son of Adam and the son of God. Is there any coincidence that right after the passage where the father names the son, we get his lineage then? It's like a double dose of identity there. In his humanity, Jesus, the God-man, in his humanity, he's the son of and son of and son of and son of and son of, but we get to the very bottom, and he's the son of God. <laughs> and then, right after Luke 3.38, you have Luke chapter 4, immediately afterwards. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, you have the start of the temptation passage. So I'm going, baptism, genealogy, temptation. They're all right back, back to back. This has got to mean something. And in the temptation passage, when Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, when for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of those 40 days, he was hungry because he was the God-man. And then the devil says, he comes at him with identity. If you really are who you say you are, 
if you really are who that voice from heaven says you are. If you really are the Son of God. There had been no sin for Jesus to have a little bread here. He was at the end of his fast, the, the passage clearly said. It had been no sin, but the temptation was really act out of something that act out of your identity in some other way than you really are. Don't be who you really are. If you really are the Son of God. It was a, the temptation was to deny his identity. The temptation was to act in some other way. Just like the guy at Kinsey had a temptation to follow the people out and act outside of his true identity and get his identity somewhere else. The devil says, hey, if you really are, let's do a miracle here and show everybody. Let's, let's, let's prove it. Let's prove it. The passage continues, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of this. I'll give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to you. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Look what you can have if you deny your identity. Look what you can have. Look who you can be. I can give every bit of this to you. That Jesus already knew that it was going to be his after he died on the cross. But he was, he was tempted to take a shortcut. I can give you anything right here that you want. But he was already the son of God. How, what more could he want? And he's tempted him with all the things of the world. And the final temptation is here the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you really are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here and show everybody that you really are the Son of God. Every temptation, there was a temptation for him to act on his identity in some way that he shouldn't. If you really are who you say you are, That can't be coincidence. Baptism passage about identity. Genealogy about identity. Temptation is about identity. And then the passage right after that, Jesus goes into the temple. And I haven't given this to Karen, so let me just read it to you. Right, I mean, immediately after the temptation passage. So there goes my cards there. Right? Immediately after the temptation passage. And Luke Chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogues and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He knew who he was. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He knew who he was because he allowed the praiseworthy one to name him. Praise of the praiseworthy is above all reward. So I've just come this morning to ask you, who names you? Who names you? Who will you give that much power to in your life? There's been some times in the counseling room, I've never said this, but I've wanted to say, 
How dare you give that person that much power in your life? I've never had the courage enough to say it, but I pro- maybe I should have. How dare you give that person that much power in your life? Who names you? Who's at the top of your deck? Who is the most praiseworthy in your life because of the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards? We've said the same thing every single week in a different way. And maybe if I say it enough, I'll get it through my head. The father told the son who he was. And through scripture, he tells us who we are. We're loved. We're known. We're chosen. You know that. But maybe in this moment you need for him to tell you again. And you can say something Like, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help me get the right thing to the top of the deck. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, you've told us all through Scripture who we are, and some of it is so miraculous it's hard for us to believe. Help our unbelief. Through this sermon, through our devotional time, through songs, through Sunday school lessons, small group lessons, tell us over and over and over who we are. Who has the power to name us? And God, help us believe it. Help us get that to the top of our deck. In Jesus' name.